We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, the week six preview show. John McCagney and Mario Puig running through every single game on this week's slate. A lot of injuries to uh, to unpack and some tough lineup decisions out there, some bye weeks as well, causing additional lineup strain. So let's uh, let's go ahead and sort that out for y'all to start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 6. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you on this fine Thursday. Mario, how are we doing today? Oh, all right. Uh, I don't know. It's rainy. It, it's... Uh... It's not it's not particularly enjoyable, I suppose, and I, I didn't win my fab bid on Keontae Ingram. So uh, actually, I'm bad, John. I'm not doing well. All right, we're gonna we're gonna try to pick you up here. How about you? Over the, well, I'll go ahead and start by uh, rubbing it in your face that I did get Keontae Ingram in in, <laughs> in in my NFFC league, and I bid less for him than you did. So, well, I'm real um, happy for you, uh, I think, but uh, that's that's uh, not fair. Throw, pulling the pulling the alarm on that one, calling the correct. mods. It's yeah, no, that's um, I expect them at my door shortly. Um, but beyond that, um, any other free agent pickup interest uh, for you this week after Fabs uh, have run? So uh, I guess uh, I only looked at NFFC and I guess most leagues or most, I don't know if this is a public league thing or where people are fishbowl. Maybe uh, they had waivers that ran Tuesday night, I guess. And mm-hmm. uh, whereas NFFC is, is Wednesday. So on Tuesday, everybody had taken it as a foregone conclusion. And I didn't even realize this, uh, but people took it as a foregone conclusion that Amari DiMercato was the running back in Arizona after James Conner, which uh, I would not assume that, but a, a lot of people did. And I saw this whole thing about, you know, the the reaction to the to the Cardinals issuing a depth chart on Wednesday morning saying that Keontae Ingram was the number two running back and Amari DiMercato was the third. So a bunch of people were kind of like, what the heck? How, how did that happen? And uh, I don't know what they thought was going on. I, I don't know what I don't know who who got people down that that path that of assuming that DiMercato was some sort of item of interest i don't personally think that he is and yet uh 
in my NFFC league where we had the, you know, uh, the, the, the knowledge that that Ingram was ahead of Di Mercado on the listed depth chart, Di Mercado still went for about 8% more, eight points more. Uh, it was 301, I guess, out of a $1,000 fab budget that Di Mercado went for in this league. And uh, Keontae Ingram went like two. 30 or something i i put in like 197 and i thought i was overdoing it i thought i was like oh this they're gonna they're gonna roast me they're gonna call me a a big idiot for this but i i whatever what else am i spending the fab on and it turned out nothing because um didn't get ingram and uh now i just i this is a league where i i am third in the league and i had nick chubb and jk dobbins so I'm pretty bitter about the whole thing. I feel like this team would be a juggernaut if not for um, the, the cruel idiocy of, of injury chance. So it, it's it's really actually kind of like grinding my gears a little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit steamed. No, un- understandably so. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, you and I, very similar thought process with, with our drafting this year, especially when it came to, to getting as much Chubb and Dobbins as possible and, by the end of week two, that that dream w- was dead, basically. So, oh yeah. Um, but now other people are, are feeling the burn. Uh, obviously, with Austin Eckler's been out for a while. We think he's going to be back th- this week. Justin Jefferson, obviously, hitting IR. Devin Achan hitting IR this week as well. So it, it's tough. There's a lot to unpack here, and let's uh, let's get it started with the Thursday night game. Uh, we have the Kansas City Chiefs playing host to the Denver Broncos, the who continue their impressive downward trajectory. You give up 31 points to the Jets. Um, that's egregious. It, it, that's in the same bucket as giving up 28 points uh, to, to the Bears, at least at that point in the season, although the Bears now are clearly a wagon, and that will continue. Duh. But beyond that, Chiefs 10.5-point favorites in this one. Uh, what are you looking for in from a fantasy lens here? And I, I want to kind of get your thoughts, a little uh, quarter poll check-in on one Rasheed Rice, who I think it, it continues to kind of work his way up. Yeah, I love Rice. I don't understand why Andy Reid handles receivers the way that he does. I, I feel like he could improve his process. The, 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 the underlying assumptions that he makes could, could maybe be re-examined because to me, it looks like the Chiefs it's not just that they could use Rasheed Rice more. It's that they need him. It's that if they, if he is not the answer to the question that they face, they're in a hell of a lot of trouble. And it's, it's so glaringly obvious to me. And it's, it's frustrating to me that Andy Reed is still doing this thing where like the 20 snaps, this guy, 20 snaps for this guy. I don't think there's any matchup like personnel matchup based reason for doing that. I, I think it's, it's borderline just superstitious. Uh, the, the simple fact is Sky Moore, the way they're using him, is not drawing targets rapidly enough to justify his snaps. The, the same fact would be true of Marcus Valdez-Scantling, but at least Marcus Valdez-Scantling has the decoy utility. Sky Moore doesn't even have that. Kadarius Tony doesn't do anything, really. In my, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a joke that we, we still talk about him like he's, a, he's an important player or something. He's not. He's a, he's a, he's a wide receiver, four or five, and uh, one not even worth the trouble, as it were. So the Chiefs just have this void, this howling void, aside from Travis Kelsey in the passing game. And Mahomes factor or not, Kelsey being as great as ever, even if that's a given, that's still not enough 
this this team had more every other year that they won the super even Juju Smith Schuster like his knee apparently you know got worse in the offseason but he was producing at a level no one similar to the Chiefs roster right now is at receivers so Rasheed Rice has mostly been worked in in the slot and I feel like the, the, the simple next step to the to the Chiefs offense getting better whoever they got to take the snaps from even if it's Sky Moore I would say Justin Watson but if they have to take snaps from Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony to give it to Rice outside then they have to do it because uh, he's he's the real deal and uh, on a per snap basis he's been very good the numbers don't jump out I realize but uh, there's there's just some really clearly positive peripheral indicators in Rasheed Rice's production, like specifically drawing a lot of targets per snap, a lot of targets per snap. Admittedly, low depth of target, 5.7 yards. If he raises that depth of target to what it should be, something like 9 or 10, the target rate per snap will go down a little, but he can afford that. He's got 24 on 120 snaps. So if he's averaging uh, a target, uh, whatever, however many, every, every uh, that's not five, is it? I can't do the math on it. But uh, that's a lot targeted on a route 30% of the time. Yeah, that's a really high target rate. And I I know he had a couple drops, but uh, the the perspective that's key here is that he's still catching 70.8% of his targets. If he drops a certain number of passes and he still is way above, uh, you know, certainly any other Chiefs receiver and certainly a generally good, a general standard of good then the drops don't matter, point blank. They just do not matter. And it's 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 hard to get people to understand that. Maybe Randy Reed is one of those people who's struggling to get it. But I do think, um, not in this game, the, the Broncos are a pushover. But if, if the Chiefs have to struggle or lose against the Chargers in Week 7, I think that that might be the, the desperation factor to force Andy Reed to do the smart thing, even if he doesn't you know correctly understand it in the meantime. And you know, speaking of Sky Moore... What do you do with him at this point? He's someone that had some pretty significant draft helium uh, over the course of August in particular, and we're not really looking at a whole lot as far as the the production goes. A a high of 70 yards, that that was all the way back in week two. That was when he scored his only touchdown of the season, not not drawing, or he's had four combined targets over the last two weeks. Uh, just two catches in that span gets a little bit involved in the run game, but I mean this this isn't a guy that you can start right now. But at the same time, it is Denver tonight. So what what do you do with him? Him, Kadarius Tony. I, I don't know what to tell anyone to, to do with them. They they will be a certain level of productive per snap, especially against a team like the Broncos. But you can't bank on them getting more than like thirty snaps. So uh, as far as as far as why Moore isn't producing, it's really simple, in my opinion. And it's a very it's a really foreseeable thing. And it's discouraging to me that Andy Reid doesn't get it. I can't tell if he's he's trying to force guys like Moore and Tony onto the field in the in those spots that there are reps available to sort of suit the interests of Brett Veach, the GM. I don't know if Brett Veach is pressing on him, like get the get my crappy draft picks on the field so I don't look like as the idiot I am. But Sky Moore is playing entirely out of position. They're lining him up most of the time outside. It needs to be the other way around. He needs to mostly be in the slot. So if if there were one simple switch to make the Chiefs offense a lot better, I would say it's that they need to get Rice uh, outside on the reps where Moore is. And if if there's slot snaps up for grabs after that, move Moore into those. Moore is a slot receiver. This is a it's like a more extreme version of what we saw in Arizona when they misused Christian Kirk for four years as an outside receiver to, to leave Larry Fitzgerald, his, you know, grandfathered reps uh, in the slot. And in this case, 
I don't know why why they won't just use more in the slot. It's like they just decided we need to make him an outside receiver to make that draft pick look good. So we're going to use him there, even if he isn't any good at it. Like he's too short, and I don't know what I don't know why he can't. I, I guess it would be something like the the start stop, the change of direction. Maybe he's a little too linear to be like a like maybe his routes are predictable when he's going vertical on the outside. I don't know, but Sky Moore is a guy you put in the middle of the field and you get him moving fast and he'll catch passes. I know he had the drops in week one or whatever, but normally he doesn't drop passes. This whole thing at Western Michigan is you send him over the middle. He catches it no matter what kind of hit he takes. And oftentimes he'll like bounce off that hit and run for another 60 yards. Like that's what Sky Moore is supposed to be used as. And they're just point blank using him in a way that doesn't at all resemble that. So it's their fault. It's not necessarily Moore's fault, but it is a real limitation with Moore. Like, it's just not going to work for him outside. It might work in the slot, but Andy Reid just seems to be getting further away from the answer as far as I see it. So, yeah, at this point, um, he's bottom of your roster on the bench or maybe even droppable in um, even like. Definitely would rather have Rice. I think Rice, like they're going to keep they're going to get bad results. They're going to need to change something and. It, more would benefit from moving into the slot, but it, the the solution, whatever way it goes, has to be getting Rice on the field. I'm a little worried though, there because Veach uh, did the the whole thing of like we have a wide receiver one. His name is Kadarius Tony. I'm a little worried they're going to try to force the Tony thing again before they make the right answer of going with Rice. But that's the way it's going to go. They, they they can't avoid such an obvious answer forever. No, I, I don't think so either. So that you know that they'll eventually pull out of it. Um, but for for now, for Chiefs are in trouble, man. They're gonna they're gonna roll teams like the Broncos every time, but this is not a Super Bowl team, not even close. Now that to me, like the the Niners are the wagon of wagons right now. It's it's crazy. Yeah, the whole but... league folded for them. It's unbelievable. I hate this. I hate this league. I hate the owners. I hate the front offices. I hate you guys. Shaking my fist at all of them. Um, let's see a couple last items on this game before we move on. If you're making a showdown slate tonight, Pacheco captain. Uh, sure. I haven't looked at the salaries, but, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, pretty much anybody on the chiefs offense could be the answer. Cause the, the Broncos are so incredibly bad on defense that, you know, I, I just was bashing him. But if you give Kadarius Tony five catches against this defense, he might get 180 yards. I mean, they don't, they're not exactly good at tackling, you know? So, uh, anybody can go off, but Pacheco is, is, at least in the in the last couple of games, they've been dependent on him to a degree. They haven't been d- dependent on any running back uh, at any point. And Pat Mahomes is like Pat Mahomes was always doing more, even when they had like Kareem Hunt or whoever else we might name. So they're dependent on Pacheco the last couple of weeks. I just don't know if that's going to remain the case here. He'll definitely be good with how, however much usage he gets, though. And then um, on the Broncos side of things, we're we're looking at Javante Williams being being back in the fold. Uh, what? What are your expectations for him, and, and does that um, necessitate a move for McLaughlin to your bench? I don't know, man. I I feel like it's it's so tough to get this one right. Uh, McLaughlin, of course, is doing a pretty good job. I don't I don't know if I would characterize it as like competitive competitively meaningful snaps that he's taken. Uh, to me, he looks kind of like a drawback, a, a, a checkdown guy who's played a lot of reps in uh, on an offense that just isn't going anywhere. The defense is kind of just letting them spin their wheels, run out the clock because they're always losing, but uh, he has played well. And it's, it's, I guess even more so difficult to know what kind of physical state Javante Williams is in. I, I, of course 
was a bit of a critic of his draft hype because at the time there were a bunch of dodos saying that he's better than Travis Etienne and all this other stuff. And I was pushing back against that, but I didn't mean to like argue Javante Williams wasn't a good prospect. It was just to me, he was more like a late second rounder or something. So even as a relative critic in the past, I don't understand why he hasn't done better if he is healthy. So I almost have to conclude he's not healthy. And if that's the case, you can't really put any expectation on him fairly. You know, Uh, I I just don't know what to do with that. And McLaughlin in the meantime, it also not, that's not for nothing. You know, it it isn't worthless that he's uh, maybe even a a garbage time specialist because the Broncos are going to have a lot of garbage time to spend this year. So I guess I'd stick with McLaughlin in this, I guess. Yeah. Cause even, especially if we figure the chief's role here, how stupid would the Broncos look to put Williams out there at less than 100% in a blowout? No, exactly. And I kind of expect them to, you know, be trailing for long enough in this game to where like the run game just doesn't really ever find much in the way of traction. I expect this to be one of uh, Russell Wilson's busier days of the season, but likely all for not. And I I did a little bit of uh, betting research yesterday, and I believe all home favorites this year uh, that are favored by 10 or more points have have, uh, covered the spread. So take that for what you will going into tonight's game. Although it it is a Thursday night game, but didn't seem to bother the the Niners against the Giants. Um, Before we we get on over to the London game, we got a message from our friends over at Circa. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. There's no better place to catch the big game than poolside at Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. A massive 143 foot screen with booming game sound plus these special pyrotechnics and visual effects throughout the game grab the best seat in the sun with day beds poolside boxes cabanas and more don't miss stadium swims big game party for february 11th only at circa resort and casino in downtown las vegas space is going quickly folks for more information and to book your seats today Go to CircaLasVegas.com. That's CircaLasVegas.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Mario. Let's talk about the London game. We got the Ravens. <laughs> we got the Titans. We got the Ravens coming off of just one of the more maddening, frustrating uh, games. Uh, it, Salt in the wound that Lamar Jackson was the highest graded passer by PFF last weekend. Uh, seven drops, um, depending on on where you look. So, some people had it charted at eleven. It could have been a hundred for all I was concerned. Um, just pathetic showing from from the Ravens' pass catchers, and and you know obviously the special teams gap. And uh, but I digress. Uh, they they are they're in London. They're facing the Titans. Titans obviously coming off the loss. Uh, as well weird week Ravens four and a half point favorites I'm mm, I, I think that's too many points I think I like the Titans in the spot and John Harbaugh's doing the the Ted Lasso thing and um even as a guy with a mustache I'm, I'm like I that that is not good what to is me. the Ted Lasso thing what does that he's mean? just like I feel because he's in in England so he's like oh I feel like I'm Ted Lasso hmm. 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 uh I bet Mike Vrabel has never said that I bet, I bet exactly. Mike, Vrabel, Mike Vrabel might have watched a, like a few seconds of Ted Lasso and just he went outside and he, he got mad and went outside and beat up a nerd. That's 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 Mike Vrabel watching Ted Lasso. Uh, I think uh, it, I, I know all, all those things that you said are true and it's it's not easily pushed aside, especially because I would characterize the Ravens offense as more up and down this year than consistently good. But it is in my nature to look at the, the stats that you mentioned, those drops, and conclude that that it sooner means like positive regression is incoming because I mean I I I actually think you know Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews both have drop tendencies, but I don't think Bateman does. Uh Duvernay even didn't reel one in. I don't think it was a fair to call it a drop. He kind of got headhunted and hit by two people on the play, but like Duvernay, that was probably the first pass Duvernay's ever dropped in the NFL. So uh, Aguilar, oh my God, that's a, that's a drop merchant for sure, but he wasn't even the one that we have in mind at the moment. So granted, Aguilar can drop some passes coming up that he maybe hasn't dropped in the in the games to this point. But guys like Andrews, Bateman, Flowers, they're going to have little, they're going to have like sprees where they get hot and, and kind of correct those numbers. Bateman, at least if he gets healthy, I don't know what his health situation is, but I feel like Bateman's first two years and his Minnesota career are clear enough that he's good and that if the numbers aren't there, there's, there's a complicating factor in the meantime that eventually will give way, even if it's really frustrating in the meantime, but yeah, the Ravens need Bateman to step up. The Beckham thing was always, a, I, I don't think DaCosta gets enough hate for how bad that he is. And he is bad at his job. Uh, if, if Lamar Jackson hadn't miraculously fallen to their second, third round of uh, second, first round pick that one year, people would look at it DaCosta by now and be like, Whoa, this guy sucks. Uh, but yeah, the Aguilar signing, uh, the Beckham signing, those were two things that they really couldn't do and set the team back. And uh, at a time where there was a window, you know, it was all wide open and they just they just blew it because DaCosta is an idiot. So that sucks. But uh, Bateman, I still have hope for because 
Whereas, whereas Beckham is just completely broken down and it's obvious, like every play, the guy is hurt that he gets back up. I, I mean, even the plays where he's not hurt, it's like, you can, he's like, he's like limping out of every play. It's crazy. So uh, Andrews is a rock though. And, or, you know, not the most consistent pass catcher, I guess you could say, but he, he, he is inevitable. And I think the Titans are kind of begging for some of the correction to occur against their defense uh, just by being so tough to run on. And I don't know if I believe they can really do a version of selling out against the pass that doesn't run the risk of cutting loose Lamar as a runner. So I think the Ravens get it together enough to win this, but it's not so much because I think it'll be prettier because they've got everything figured out. It's just, I think the Titans are not a good team and their offensive line in particular, the, I know that the Ravens don't have a, whatever, great pass rush, great front seven or whatever, but the Titans offensive line is so bad that if, if Tannehill has to throw so many as like 20 passes, the Titans are in harm's way. And I, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to count out the Titans, especially because of the variable factor. You know, I'm, I'm still really high on Derek Henry and bad offensive line or not. If you let Henry get to 20 carries, your defense is in grave danger at that point. But I still got to take the Ravens. I just I just feel like the Titans pass defense is weak and and they kind of like beg offenses to attack them there by, by being so tough against the run. So uh, going back to, to 2020, uh, coming off a loss that the Titans are 12 to eight and one against the spread. Uh, the Ravens actually are 13, seven and one against the spread uh, coming off of a loss. Both teams that obviously in this instance uh, are, are in that setup. Um, yeah, Matt. Matt in the chat uh, notes that Ronnie Stanley can't stay on the field either. Yeah, that that injury against Pittsburgh a couple years the ago. The Ravens was... might have a I don't know what you'd call it. Like, is there like a warlock, maybe living in the team facilities, just like casting spells from the boiler rooms and all these guys. Like the Ravens, it, playing for the Ravens is just like you're gonna get hurt. It's gonna happen to you, you know. And it's not gonna be like a it's not gonna be a sprained ankle. It's gonna be like you're gonna get a chronic condition out of this. It's yeah, it's it's bad. Um, get, going back to your points on, on the Ravens' offense and the the pass catching group, I think I'm out on Rashad Bateman, man. I, I don't it's, see. It I happening. understand the despair, but you remember his first two years, right? That was 18 games. And, yeah, and he was really good, and then he got hurt, and. Then- Is, is lesser than still I, th- I think Zay Flowers is clearly not as good as Bateman when he's healthy I mean it, Flowers does cool stuff sometimes but we saw the downside too last week like he'll drop plenty of passes and he's not going to like win the ball in the air like Steve Smith like he kind of needs the separation and then on that deep ball he just kind of like l- couldn't track it when Lamar threw it like he was open and, and Lamar slipped. threw it and Flowers just like fell on the ground for some reason not not even because he like lost his footing. He just like couldn't track the ball and like did that thing. Like he did, he did a, like a receiver equivalent in basketball. Like when you get crossed up and you fall over the wrong way, he did that to himself. And like, that's a problem. You need him to get to that spot. And if he can't get there, then he's not a legitimate downfield receiver, at least not for the amount of slack that they're putting on him. So I think that they're they're They need Bateman to get going. And the more that they dink around with this playing time and put Aguilar on the field instead, They'll make they're making it tougher for him to get back into a rhythm. And we know what he looks like when he's in rhythm because his first two years, the numbers were just perfectly clean. There is there's only good indicators in his first two years, there's only good indicators in his Minnesota career. What we have bad indicators from is 140 snaps in four games this year. 
while he was playing hurt to an unspecified extent for an unknown amount of that time. So um, if he's still hurt, then I don't know what gets better. But if Bateman is the player that he was in 2021 and 2022, then big numbers are ahead. And I, I know it seems impossible right now, but it seems highly unlikely to me that a player like him would just become bad for no discernible explanation. Like it, it just like T- Tampa Bay, Michael Clayton is, is the kind of precedent that we'd need to find for that kind of drop off. And, you know, there's only one Tampa Bay, Mike Clayton in NFL history. Yeah. George Clooney. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know enough about, is that, is that the name of a guy yeah. that he played? It, uh, he, he was in a film called Michael Clayton. Oh, that, um, that particular Michael. Okay. Um, <laughs> I did, I don't know many George Clooney things, obviously, but uh, Tampa Bay, Mike Clayton, LSU, Mike Clayton had a really, really good rookie season back like 20 years ago or whatever inexplicably was awful every year after that. So uh, it could happen to Bateman, I guess, but I doubt it. I, I'm saying, I, I mean, you, you bring up great points and like, I was, you know, I have enough shares of him in best fall this year to, to underline the point that I, I did think that, you know, the, the talent was legit. I thought when he was healthy last year, obviously a smaller sample um, that, you know, he, he looked like the best receiver on the Ravens in the best receiver they've had in a little bit, but it's, it's come crashing back down. I don't know if the, if the foot injury from last year is still lingering in some way, shape or form, but the, the drop in the end zone off of his hands is so seared into my brain. I, I can't with that guy. I just can't. Yeah. I mean, it's one play. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. A- anecdotal. I know, but um, bleh, I, he's maybe I mean, they flowers mad. dropped like three passes in that game, you know, and everybody loves still them. love them. Still love them. I don't know. He's going to keep dropping passes, I'm telling you. He's not that good, in my opinion, but, of course. But maybe the, maybe the catch rate, you know, will eventually make the drops not a, not a huge issue anymore. I don't know. We'll see. And a lot of that's on screens. We'll see. His catch rate is totally fine, but 29 out of 40 for 7.9 yards of target is uh, – I think that catch rate is going to come down, if anything. Sorry. Well, that – yeah, no, I mean, they've used, or at least earlier in the in the season, they were just having him run the screens for, right. for the most part, except for that Cincinnati game where he had the, the nice catch that, down the middle. Um, I don't know. I still believe in him. I'm I'm still out. He's on a good him. player. I just think the stuff about him being the wide receiver one of that team, it's like, if that's true, cross them off. They're toast. <laughs> that, that's more where I'm where I'm landing that, than uh, anything. Um, it's it's not good. Um Tony, I, I watched tons of Zay Flowers in college, okay? Like, he was on my radar. I haven't. I don't know anything about Richmond. prospects. What, what what would I know about any of this? Um, <laughs> you, anyway, yeah, you, I, We just said he's a good player, but, oh, you think he's not the best. You said he dropped a pass. You hate him. Okay, whatever. <laughs> well, I think that's our sign to move on. Let's, uh, let's go down to my backyard here. Falcons playing host to the Commanders. Very – kind of intriguing game i don't think either of these teams are particularly good but i feel like that this like sets up it as kind of a fun uh matchup in the early window on sunday the falcons are undefeated at home and i think undefeated at home under desmond ritter uh two and a half point favorites here in, in washington week. i don't know he, how he did made me made me eat my words you know that i i was uh, about a week ago i was jealous of people that that had snack uh stashed taylor heineke uh, I've seen him get dropped by those very same people this week. So the uh, Heineke watch uh, is off for the time being going up against this Washington team. I mean, 
How much was it the Bears like waking up or, or just, you know, I don't think the Bears can sustain like insane offensive production like that or anything, but it did feel like coming into the year, pretty simple. You have DJ Moore, throw the ball to him and uh, everything else can kind of just flow off of that. And that obviously uh, happened against the, the commanders last week. I don't know if if the Falcons offense will be able to take advantage of it the, the same way, but you know what what are you seeing here when it comes to the Falcons offense going up against a, a Washington defense that looks like it's a bit on its heels, even if it's well rested? Well, I still don't think Ritter is good. I, I do think Tana uh, uh, Taylor Heineke will be up at some point, but certainly not anytime soon. And uh, even in that Houston game, it's like, A, that Houston defense had plenty of injuries in the secondary still. And uh, B, I, I I think there's probably a, a pretty significant, uh, like, what do you call it, leverage gained by the Falcons in that game because they got the Texans to jump off sides a bunch of times on offense. And it really can change a lot in a game just to get more favorable downs and distances for quarterbacks. It's part of why, while I would admit that he's good, I am not at all willing to consider Brock Purdy one of the best quarterbacks in the league because if you just if you actually look at his plays and then you actually look at the other plays that other quarterbacks have to make it's like so much is is just gimmies because it's it's incredibly low stress setups it's just really favorable situations where the offense has a bunch of advantages over the defense and 5 yards give a first and 5 a second and 5 versus like a second and 10 second and 13 you know it's kind of things that Ritter might otherwise have been looking at that difference can throw off or make entire drives and I think that was a big part of the story against Houston however I am not going to look at the Washington defense and and say like oh but these guys they're smart they're gonna get it together Jack Del Rio he's no fool Jack Del Rio is a fool and sometimes it seems like he just kind of goes AWOL for weeks at a time it seems like he, he, he I don't know what he's doing all week but when you watch especially that Chicago game, it's like it, it doesn't seem like Washington had any plan other than just kind of like blitz a little drop back coverage a little and tell them to pounce on the passes. And uh, I, I guess maybe that was informed by them looking too much at, I don't know, Chicago's first two games when Fields probably was a beat and a half too late on a bunch of throws. And maybe Del Rio was like, look, if you just jump these passes He's, you're going to get it every time or something. And whereas what it actually turned out to look like was DJ Moore's third touchdown on the left side, even against Kendall Fuller, who's a totally good corner who made a pretty good play on the ball. But you saw Justin Fields can make pinpoint accurate throws when he knows where the ball needs to go. And DJ Moore, once once he's at the catch point, he's got it. Like it, it, I don't even remember a single time where DJ Moore lost at the catch point. Like you can, you can maybe criticize some of his route running tendencies a little bit. I personally wouldn't. I just think he's, he, he, he's a, uh, He's a little less uh, laterally dynamic than some other receivers, but he's so explosive vertically and his hands are so strong at the catch point and he's so good at shedding tackles that you don't want to put a, a corner one-on-one on him with a blitz and tell that corner to pounce. Because that's, you know, if if, if, the, if the throw gets there, it's a wrap. And I, I think, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that if, if they had calibrated it a little differently, maybe they would have realized that it wasn't such a good idea. I don't know, but even if there is some sort of excuse, whatever, uh, some kind of insight as to why they did so poorly, I can't give the benefit of the doubt to Washington. So uh, 
nor would I give the benefit of the doubt to the Falcons offense. I, I still, of course, don't doubt them, but uh, it's the run defense being so bad for Washington that I can't figure out because that was something that even when they were kind of up and down or even outright bad the last couple of years on defense, they usually were pretty good against the run and they were kind of just a no-show against the run against the Bears. So I don't know, maybe they had a sleepwalking game. Uh, they probably can't be that bad two weeks in a row, but man, uh, Jack Del Rio is really good at, you know, getting 50 cents on the dollar for the talent that he has on that defense yeah no kidding i mean the 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 front seven like on paper should be just absolutely dominant and we're we're not seeing it and then you know the the secondary on paper looks fine and and yet they're getting completely torched so i don't know maybe that that leads to a little bit of optimism for the the falcons pass catchers namely um namely Drake London and, and Kyle Pitts. I, I can't in good conscience, uh, you know, recommend a Matt, a Matt Collins type. Um, Matt Collins John who's good, what, though. Oh, yeah, yes, he is. What did you think of um, the Van Jefferson trade? I don't know, man. I don't know what the Falcons even have in mind for him to do, like sit on the bench. I, I guess we could put Matt Collins on the bench. Matt Collins sucks. I, I would say Van Jefferson's better than him, but – they also don't have targets to give out, you know, and Matt Collins, right. at least he can probably block. I mean, he's huge. I assume he must do something useful. I assume that's why he keeps ending up on offenses and getting snaps on them. But Van Jefferson is not a blocker. He's skinny and right. he's not going to get open and, you know, do much in the pass catcher. So I don't know what he's going to do there. I think he might just kind of they, they might just kind of get him into the to the facility and then conclude like, ah, never mind, and just kind of you're you're over uh scotty miller on the depth chart what is that how do you feel van uh that you made it uh we're gonna give you 10 targets the rest of the year so that's how i see it he's, he's gonna get like 10 targets the rest of the year on like 190 okay. uh snaps some good napkin math there um on the Washington side um it, i i don't foresee a situation like uh last week where washington gets down by that by that much so quickly um obviously that that led to sam howell throwing it what upwards of 50 times last week against the bears that that was crazy um but it, it felt like one of the big takeaways from on fantasy twitter um was you're going to throw that many passes and yet there's a combined 10 targets to dotson and mclaurin what's going on yeah that's a large reason why i'm done with howell uh it's the book is not finally written on him i mean he is still a young quarterback quarterbacks his age his experience level definitely have a history of uh going from bad non-viable to to some version of viable but at the very least it's going to take time and i don't know why he would stay in a starting lineup for the amount of time that it'll take for him to get good enough uh the, the whole reason i was able to justify optimism on howell Aside from the price, you know, the the price being low kind of made it easier too. But the big thing for me was he was aggressive and he would strike down field. And I, I love just the idea of a, of a, a committed, committedly aggressive high low game, you know, like go vertical in the passing game and run as a quarterback, you know, get the safeties teetering back and forth. That's a good way to get the defense kind of jarred loose, make the big play happen. But what instead is happening is how will, is just kind of patting the ball and hanging on to it and then checking down. So if if this instead of uh you know chucking it deep to McLaurin ten times a game, if they're gonna instead give whatever 
eight targets to Curtis Samuel and eight targets to Logan Thomas, then that is not a, that's not a budget that works. You're not spatially expressing the offense in a way that, that is sustainably uh, effective. You're closing the field on yourself and the field will get smaller yet as defenses adjust to your tendencies. They're just, they're just going to fold themselves up uh, unless they find some way to get the deep ball going. And I don't think the lack of the deep ball is just explained by the pass rush. I mean, Sam Howell is taking sacks on plays where he has plenty of time too. It's like, I know he's getting hit quick on some others, but you don't get, you don't, you don't end up on a 99 sack pace unless you're screwing up a bunch as a quarterback. It's just, it's just about impossible. And he's at once holding onto the ball and not striking deep. That's ugh, not good. He's, he's, he's not seeing the field. He doesn't know what he's seeing. Something like that. He's, he's too scared to, to cut it loose. I don't know what it is, but this will not work. He will get benched if he doesn't start throwing deep. Yeah, the, the average uh, target depth for him, just eight yards, that's pretty much smack dab in the middle um, as far as the percentiles are concerned in, in a 13.2% sack rate. So, um, yes, you can blame the offensive line, but I, th- I think the processing issue um, is pretty apparent. Um, and he seems like overly – to this point, like he's been good at just being strong enough to maybe like shed a, a like first tackler type, type of thing, but he's – you you're you're playing with fire there if, you, if you're just going to trust that you can uh withstand a bunch of hits from nfl defensive linemen and just have them bounce off of you as a quarterback like that it just he needs to get rid of it much quicker yeah i think part of the problem too is he some quarterbacks can do this but he hasn't shown the ability to to both manage the pass rush and keep his eyes downfield it's either one or the other and so he he gets sacked holding onto the ball, waiting for something that he thinks he sees, but it, it you know it doesn't quite happen, and he gets sacked before it could anyway. And then the other version is is uh he 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 just um uh, sorry I kind of lost my uh, train of thought there, but he 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 um w- will try to strike downfield, and uh w- w- before it, it comes up, you know the times that he does sense the pass rush, he'll drop his eyes. So if you drop your eyes, you don't see Terry McLaurin improvising on the broken play. You know, a, p- a play like Pat Mahomes improvising on a broken play, Aaron Rodgers on a broken play. They're watching downfield as they manage the rush. They know where the receiver is. It's like Howell, he, he has to lose sight of his receivers to evade the pass rush, and he can't do both at the same time for some reason. Apologies to uh, to our listeners uh, for, for our uh, producer, my dog, um, chiming in, uh, I, I guess, Washington. Emily says really- it's brissette time. Yeah, he he does. Um, he knows who has a dog in him, and he doesn't. <laughs> I I'm going to blindly just hang on to Howell Hope, um, just because I'm so freaking leveraged on him. He is but. still young. I mean, he can get better. It's just it's one of those long shot things, and uh, yeah, it could get pretty ugly in the meantime. Right, and like it, you know, cases like that, Washington's usually not the like the the fertile ground for, for the, the seed to blossom. Like it, uh, you know, if anything, it can just, it's not going to end well knowing, knowing the history of that franchise, but I digress. Um, so I guess bottom line here, I do like the Falcons in this one. Yeah. I'll say Falcons. Uh, let's go to the NFC North. We, we got an interesting one here. We, we got the Vikings and the bears, the Vikings two and a half point favorites on the road. Justin Jefferson being out. Um, I think we need to give the the public a little bit of a PSA on why going crazy on KJ Osborne this week is a mistake. Well, some people 
maybe have a legitimate use. You know, if, if you need a receiver, having a guy who plays 60 snaps is a starting point, especially in a lot of leagues where there's not even that available. So KJ Osborne is going to play something like 60 snaps and more snaps always means more targets over, you know, some amount of sample size. It, it is, it is a lock. So Osborne's target count probably will go up somewhat. Uh, it's just, uh, I'm not going to say more than nine on 50, 59 snaps, like against the chiefs. That's uh, that's, I, w- I wouldn't call it a best case scenario. It's not really working for the Vikings offense, but that is the best case scenario. You know, like nine on 59. He's not going to do that very often. But what you might get from Osborne is like eight targets on 65 or you know seven targets on 65. The problem, John, is from that point, everything else is bad news. And I, I, I know you can't really always do that thing where you're like, oh, if you remove this play, the sample turns to this number because the guys, you know, if they make a play, they actually made it. And uh, you don't want to just say this isn't convenient for my narrative, so I'm going to remove it. However... Aside from KJ Osborne's Colts game last year, you know, we've got a pretty big sample from this point. And I think we can also agree that that Colts game was very weird. Uh, the oh, Colts yeah. defense was on the field a long time and they just stole They top they, they stopped playing defense in the second half. They just, they stopped doing it. KJ Osborne was like running around. Like even he didn't know where the defense was just, you know, Chris Berman prime footage for, for doing the whoop, whoop, whoop. Stuff. He's just he, KJ Osborne doesn't know where the defense is. They're, they're nowhere. They're, they're, yeah, they're just slipping past him, and he's he's like, well, "How the hell did I do that?" And I'm wondering the same question, KJ. And the answer actually is just that the Colts were tired, and they they were basically uh, hallucinating on the field. Aside from that one game, we are up to uh, 20 contests. I think. Uh, let me run that again. Uh, yeah, 21 contests. I guess it is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he Osborne. Outside of that Colts game, going back 21 games now, John, this is more than a season, well more than one season. Outside of that game, 63 catches for 659 yards on 100 targets. That's a 63% catch rate at 6.59 yards per target. And he did that on something just over 1,000 snaps. So that's awful. The 63% at 6.6 yards per target. I've talked a lot about like baseline team baselines before that is so far beneath the Minnesota baseline over that sample. That would have been be- below the baseline for the Davis mills Texans. And so what, what that means is, is that the other receivers are producing at a level that's very easily distinguished from Osborne and Osborne is producing way lower than everyone else on the team. And what that means generally is that the player is overexposed. Their usage is too high. The defense is ready enough for the ways that you deploy them, that it's just a no go when you try to do that. And that's been the case with Osborne for 21 games. And then the Colts game, the one admitted exception. So unless you believe he's going to peel off a bunch of that, you know, Colts games to to correct the sample, we know that this guy cannot play receiver in the NFL at a competitive level. It's just, it's, it is what it is. He's, he's a good blocker, but you know, in, in, in baseball scouting, he's he's what we would call a 40-grade player. Like He's he's like a utility infielder who's a defensive specialist and has a bad bat. You know, it's a, it's crap. It's useless. So uh, he's not going to help the offense. If, if Osborne gets something like 10 targets in this game, even against the busted Bears defense, I would think that it means the Vikings are at, are, uh, at serious upset watch. Like Kirk Cousins going to Chicago alone kind of makes me feel a little gross. 
the idea of him throwing to Osborne 12 times, it's like, that could be two pick sixes. There's so much tip drill nonsense that happens when the ball goes to Osborne. It's crazy. He's just, he's just like a randomizer in the middle of the field that for some reason they won't try to bench. And now, I mean, they don't really have a choice. So I, I suppose like that's really the only like driving factor for him having any fantasy utility this week is he's going to be out there. Like there, there's going to be snaps, yeah. but I think for, for me, provided that Addison is good to go, he's get, got an ankle. Um, I I think my like DFS strategy for this week, and it, it has the, all of the makings of bad chalk. Like the, these are two bad teams and like both of them could go into the toilet at, at the same time and, and therefore like not really make the defenses pay for anything. But I, I think my, my kind of core DFS build for this week is Fields, DJ Moore, who's extremely cheap on uh, on DraftKings, and then Hawkinson and, and Addison as my runbacks. I think that that's going to be kind of uh, what I work, what I lock in there, and everything else is kind of up for negotiation. But I, I'm in on this game, even if it is potentially like blow up chalk. But one one chalk guy that I'm I'm not touching is going to be Osborne. Fair enough. I didn't realize he got so uh, chalky. I don't know his price. There is a price that I can see the justification for Osborne in DFS. It's, it's under 5K. Yeah, I'd need it to be like 3,600 or something like that. And I'm guessing he's a little higher than that. And I guess uh, the ownership would be higher than it would make it worth it for me. But uh, yeah. I do love Addison. I, I am a little worried that the, the Vikings offense just completely falls apart, though, without Jefferson. Because TJ Hawkinson's numbers are already awful. He's still in the basement. He's still... It's not his fault. It's it's O'Connell's fault. But Hawkinson is still killing them, and uh, now defenses don't even have to care about Jefferson. So I don't know. I'm I'm worried about Cousins in this game. Love love the Bears side. The Vikings defense sucks. And then what what do you make of the Bears running back situation? Because everybody got hurt last week in Washington. We we saw some Kari Blossom game, which I always appreciate. But um, I appreciate that. Yeah, he was he he done was more of a running back at Vanderbilt than Roshan Johnson was at Texas. Uh, not even making it up, but blasting games should, you know, probably not be a running back in the NFL. It's, it's a little different when you're talking Vanderbilt, uh, and their, their few competitive games, whatever, six years ago. So, uh, it's tough. Uh, I think you have to separate the question of what makes the most sense for the bears from the question of what they're likely to do. And I think, uh, what makes the most sense would be feeding Deontay Foreman. I, I think it's so completely obvious that I doubt that the Bears will do it because the Bears are not a well-run team and they won't do what makes sense. What they have an interest in, what Ryan Poles has an interest in, is making Roshan Johnson look like a good pick, even though he wasn't. And that Deontay Foreman is very clearly, very objectively, a far superior runner to to Roshan Johnson doesn't necessarily factor into the calculus at all for the Bears. I mean, Travis Homer is also a better runner than Roshan Johnson, and they haven't given him a shot to prove it because he would prove it. And then they'd have to say, sorry, Ryan, your pick was bad. Travis Homer's better. So is Deontay Foreman. And Ryan's like, I don't really like that so much. Can we go with a different way? And what you'll get is Roshan Johnson until something bad happens. And admittedly, I don't think anything too bad is going to happen with Roshan Johnson. I mean, I, I don't think he has any fumbling history and he's, you know, totally good at fullback stuff, which is what I said he was all along, but he can't run and he can't elude people. Um, so if they go with Roshan Johnson, it might be useful in fantasy. He can catch passes. He can ca- catch checkdowns really well. Uh, the Vikings defense definitely sucks. Um, 
I would I would probably say, for instance, that Roshan Johnson is better than, you know, Brian Robinson, that kind of player. And I would admit, you know, Brian Robinson can do something against this Vikings defense, too. So uh, if Roshan gets the snaps, he should be pretty good. But if they go with Deontay Foreman or even Travis Homer, they would get a lot more on the ground. So uh, the thing is, I think Fields sets up well enough. And and I'm concerned enough about the Vikings offense that the Bears shouldn't really need uh, run game explosiveness like they could get from someone like Herbert when he's healthy like that shouldn't really be necessary to win this in my opinion no I'm I'm all over the Bears in this spot I think that they're going to get it done I'm kind of honestly surprised that, that the Vikings are favored they here, suck dude they're terrible I hate they, they, I hate they are and now that now that JJ's out it's just like what what are we even looking at it's gonna be um, a circus facts um hard to out circus the the Bears but for, for one week, may, maybe they, um, they will do that. Uh, Tyler wants to know, Burrow or Stafford? Burrow, home against the Seahawks. Uh, Stafford, home against the Cards. Uh, hey, Tyler. Um, and this is tough. Uh, I feel like Stafford's due for some like positive regression, some, some good luck in his numbers, because I feel like he's played so much better than his numbers appear. But, John, do you have any solid sense of whether you think burrow is back or do we think that it was like kind of a cardinals thing i think i would go with burrow i'm just i'm surprised at how long i'm having to think about it i feel like last week was such a a decimation of my priors when it comes to the Bengals. um you know like you have higgins out they they've been stuck in the mud basically the entire season had just gotten blown out by by the titans and then that happens um and and they figure out hey, it's a good idea to throw it to Jamar Chase a lot. Um, and I think in this setup at home against the Seahawks, I'd probably still lean Burrow. I, I definitely catch your sentiment when it when it comes to Stafford. And, uh, you know, he does play the Cardinals of all teams this week, and it's at home. And Cup is back and looks good. So it, it's really tricky. Like, oh, we have man. them as QB 8 and 10, respectively, on our rankings. So it's – I mean, it's sorry really for uh, probably make. Yeah, sorry, Tyler, for probably making this just uh, harder for you. But, yeah. Um, I, I okay. How about this? I feel like you can feel good about whichever way you got to go. Uh, FOMO happens to all of us, making the wrong choice, even when you make kind of the right process. It's a risk, but I don't think you should stress too much about who you go with here. You maybe could lean on something like a. Uh, I don't know if, if the other guy has other person has cup and Nakua, maybe then you, you lean Stafford or something. But I, I, my general answer is burrow. I just think it's totally permitted to go with Stafford. If you kind of just feel like it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I'm just, I'm going to have to pick a side here when, when it comes to what the Bengals game from last week means and knowing what we know about the Bengals over the last two seasons, it's that's more in line with with what we can expect than um you know maybe the if burrow's healthy the if, if mm-hmm. burrow's healthy then it's easily the choice you know i just i can't tell if i'm getting like a little uh ahead of things by assuming he's fully back but i, I would probably go with burrow yeah it again close but but uh we we are in agreement that that burrow is is the play between the two of them uh this week and uh, let's go on and talk about that game a little bit further. We got the Bengals as two and a half point favorites against the Seahawks coming off the bye. Um, they they kind of had two bye weeks in a row, right? Because they, they played the Giants uh, on that Monday night game in, in week four. So 
Um, they, they've been they've been chilling for a little they're, bit. They're getting the first uh, first seed treatment right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, man, this is tough. I can't figure out the Seahawks, man. I especially their defense. I can't figure out if it was just kind of a Daniel Jones thing where they looked good. Because in the first uh, whatever four games, I thought the Seahawks pass defense looked just awful, and in a way that I couldn't entirely dismiss on the basis of like Tariq Woolen missing the one or two games and Witherspoon missing whatever two or three like he did and you know a lot of training camp I uh I still don't trust the Seahawks coverage I I I also don't know what to make of Jamal Adams being involved like that seems like a pretty substantial transformation to make to your defense like you have to accommodate Adams so much it might look totally different with him on the field versus when he isn't so he was out until last week and before he promptly concussed himself so I I have no idea what I expect of the Seahawks defense I think they got some good personnel I, I just I, I, I haven't been able to anticipate the results in a long time, and, and that makes me nervous. But uh, the Bengals defense, I definitely think is good. I yes. uh, I guess I should see what's going on with Charles Cross these days. Uh, Damian Lewis could be out, too. Uh, looks like Charles Cross might be back at least. So that would be that would be nice. He's, he's a good looking left tackle. Uh, man. Um, I, I, I guess I expect the, the Bengals defense to have a little bit of an upper hand on the Seahawks. I, I, I don't know. I don't have any good evidence of that. I just think highly of Trey Hendrickson. I think a guy like DJ reader is always tough. Uh, I, I'm really high on miles Murphy. I would, I don't understand why they're sl- kind of slow rolling him. Just cut him loose. Uh, I know Hubbard's on the other side, but get Hubbard playing defensive tackle or something. I don't know. F- figure it out. Get, get Murphy on the field. Uh, those kinds of guys I think could be tough for the Seahawks line. And if, again, if Lewis is out for the Seahawks, that's quite a lot to not have against reader specifically. So I'm a little worried for Gino. Uh, I think this, this, the, that Lou Anarumo might have a pretty good game plan here. And, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm a little worried that this might be a little bit more sluggish of a game than, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of like fantasy talent on these two teams between like Metcalf Lockett, you know, Higgins chase. It kind of feels like it should be a shootout. I don't know if it will be, uh, at least for the Seahawks side. I just, I, I, I worry about their offense in this one. So, um, be, beyond, beyond chase, if Higgins is out again, do you, do you take any stock in Irwin from a fantasy perspective, getting all the targets that he did a week ago? Not really. He's, I think we we can just say with him, it's like he he is exactly as good as a receiver needs to be to catch eight passes against one of the very worst defenses in the league, and that's eight catches for sixty yards is not even good. Eight eighty uh, percent catch rate at sixty yards a target is not good on a day no. that Burrow finally got going. So if anything, Irwin was already uh, kind of being the KJ Osborne of the Bengals offense in that game, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Iosifus is any good. I don't actually think he probably is, but I I bet like I bet Kwame Lasseter Jr. is better than Trent Irwin. So uh, I don't I don't see anything with Irwin. No, Stanford or Princeton, the the classic football uh, debate that we all love to have. Hey, Tyler Boyd, I still think is good, and his numbers were lagging in that game too. So I don't know if the Seahawks roll a bunch of coverage at Chase in the spots where Chase was getting loose last week, then. Maybe maybe Boyd can get going. I don't know, but Chase, you don't worry about either way. I mean, he's I would put his over under at like 120 yards here. He's so strong. He's 
God, guys bounce off of him. It's it's insane. I, I love watching him play. Um, but yeah, I'm on, I'm on the Bengals here. Um, I actually went to Cincinnati for the first time last week. A nice little town, South Stadium. Nice. Uh, I've never been in Ohio. I don't know if I really it's, plan to. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I thought Cincinnati, I give it a solid B. Solid B of a town. Um, let's go on over elsewhere in Ohio. This is the, now the Ohio cast uh, segment. Um, we got the Niners going to Cleveland, face the Browns. I think, you know, the, the Browns are coming off the bye, but we still aren't totally sure what Deshaun Watson's situation is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, that trade in that contract. It's hmm. it's weird, the whole situation. Uh, it seems like Watson's just kind of saying, I'm not going to play, and Stefanski doesn't even really believe that he's hurt, or at least doesn't believe that he's hurt enough to sit out. And that's strange if so, because, you know, it's a it, really long list of things wrong with Deshaun Watson, of course, but toughness had never been one of them. I mean, he, he was he came back from an ACL tear in like seven months at Clemson. You know, it's 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 never been an issue for him. If anything, Watson has always been a gamer and this is not like gamer stuff. Assuming Stefanski is kind of correctly reading into things and fairly describing the situation. It just is odd. And uh, I don't know, maybe Watson has gone insane in his uh, isolation and alienation and has like become a a, a more, uh, more erratic version of himself. I don't know, but PJ Walker, cannot play in the nfl i don't know who i i'm trying to think of a worse starting quarterback uh it's like zach wilson at his lowest points is pj walker at his best you know like it's just it's it's horrendous how bad pj walker is not an nfl quarterback at all not even a not even like a quarterback three in the nfl he's not a top 100 nfl quarterback i am not i'm not exaggerating anything so that fact alone means they're gonna lose by a lot and I don't know how much. I don't know what the 49ers need to do. I mean, they they could probably go out and give Jordan Mason 45 carries and win this game by 10 points. So, yeah. I don't know. It, it's kind of dreary. The Browns are blown up. It's Kevin Spansky, I mean, I, I think he's probably an exactly average NFL coach in this, in this environment that we have. But that is such an, an indictment of the coaching pool in the NFL at this point, if that's the case. Because Spansky, I mean – it's hard, just it, the definition of mid at best, you know, like, <laughs> he just, he just has nothing other than kind of like whatever the team was going to do anyway. Like maybe he's, maybe he's just good enough to not screw up an otherwise okay team, but that's the very most he's capable of. This team sucks. They're, you know, their defense can play gutsy at times still. So, you know, the 49ers got to account for miles Garrett basically. But aside from that, it's just kind of a laugher. Yeah, I, I mean, we've seen the line creep up. Obviously, Watson's uh, murky status playing into it. But, th- I mean, this was five and a half earlier this week. Now I'm looking at seven over at DraftKings in favor of the Niners. I'd take the Niners up to like nine and a half. I'd um, take them up to like, if, if P.J. Walker is playing Niners by 28 at least. The, so I, I guess from the fantasy side for, for San Francisco, it does feel like there there's kind of an annoying – thing for us where it's it's player x is weak like last week was it was obviously george kittles brandon Ayuk and debo samuel don't really do much other weeks has been Ayuk with, with debo not doing much other weeks has obviously been christian mccaffrey 
crushing. He, he's obviously the most stable one. You, you're obviously not really thinking about moving moving him to your bench or anything like that. But you know, when it comes to uh, those top three pass catchers in San Francisco, you know, is there one setup uh, in particular here that that favors uh, you know one of Kittle, Ayuk, or, or or Debo, or do you think we see a more balanced uh, target distribution this week? Uh, if there's a balanced target distribution, I think it would be the result of kind of pulling the starters because the game got out of hand. I think the week to week, you know, blow ups switching from player to player in the 49ers offense. I think that's a matter of intent on the part of Shanahan. I think it's part of his, uh, disciplined approach to play calling sequencing like he's always very acutely aware of what he and his offense have put on the field like what play calls he has called in what situations in previous games because he does correctly this is something that Shanahan does better than anybody and it's something that a lot of other lesser coaches don't do at all and it's it's why the gap exists largely Shanahan asks himself the question what does the defense think that I am going to do what what do they see from where they are sitting and and are they right like are if if, if they have i shown uh, enough of my hand for for them to know that i might do this and if so he'll 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 think of something else he'll he'll go the other way or you know better yet he'll use the prior look to bait the defense into thinking the same play is happening and then he runs something totally different so shanahan's really good at that stuff and i really do think that you know as much as Certain matchups suit Debo or Ayuk or Kittle more than other defenses. If Shanahan wants it to happen, he'll make a make it happen. And I think the the switching the player each week is part of that keeping the the unexpected, you know, keep, keeping the ambush, you know, the 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 uh, the have, having the advantage of uh, not not stating ahead of time what you the, the element of surprise. Sorry, um, it, having that. Part of it is is because he designs the offense to, to to switch the threat from week to week, so you never know what to game plan for. In this game, I don't think he's going to need to use that many of his, you know, he's not going to use an ace up his sleeve in this game because the Browns aren't threatening. Uh, he saves those for for games like the Cowboys and in other uh, situations where it's called for. This just isn't a case like that. But similarly, it's like, why would you put Debo out there to take like eight hits uh, against a, a team this week? So. I could see it being like they try to score quickly through the air, especially since they might get short fields and then just kind of run out the clock the rest of the game, let the Browns dig their own hole. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, I would sooner say Ayuk or Debo than Kittle, but I kind of feel like, I don't know. I think it's going to be like a, a little bit less of a game for Purdy than some other weeks. Like I think he's going to play like three quarters basically at most. And um yeah, I don't know if they're going to get more than like five targets to any one player as a result. Okay, interesting. So th- this could just, it, it's like a, a dominant win where there's no real like fantasy standouts, at least in the passing game. When P.J. It comes Walker, to mm-hmm. I would be shocked if P.J. Walker can start this game and the Browns not give up a touchdown on offense. That would truly shock me. Yeah, we got to find odds for that. Uh, have to. Um, but either way, uh, I think that the Niners roll in this spot. I expect that line to continue to climb. Um, we've got kind of an interesting one uh, down in Houston this week. We've got the the Texans going up against the Saints. The Saints obviously just pantsed the New England Patriots at, at up in Foxborough, thirty-one to zero, I believe it was. Does that say more about New England 
than it does about New Orleans or or do uh what what level of credit no do way. you give the Saints? I think it's just it's a little complicated in that the Saints still can't play on offense, but their defense is really good and the the Patriots are so incredibly mangled on offense at the moment that it was one of those things where I think the Patriots could still compete against, I don't know, 20 teams in the league, but any team that is a defense as good as the saints, they can't like they, they just, especially with all the injuries that the Patriots had on defense, you know, if the Patriots defense had been healthy, then they still would have had a shot in that game. Cause Derek Carr is so bad right now. What's tough for me to figure out is can we expect Carr to get better over the course of the year? Like are his, struggles at all related to a new system and the growing pains that come with that i feel like it's kind of possible uh, i definitely would expect him to do better next year you know than i would this year with the system but i just don't know even if it is true that he gets better it's like maybe this is not the time that it happens and i definitely expect to make ryan's to outthink uh, pete carmichael whoever it is that's kind of running the saints offense the saints are also I think inviting some trouble on themselves by it seems like they're benching Trevor Penning for James Hurst. And I get it. I I, I don't really like Penning either. I, I, as a, as a character, he seems really annoying and lame, but he is super athletic. You know, he's, he's, he's huge and he's super athletic and you drafted him wherever you did in the first round. You bought the ticket to this ride, you know, like wh- why are you yanking his playing time when he's still in an, a developmental phase especially as if like oh he's we, we were on such a good super bowl track if it wasn't for trevor penning it's like no you you're not going anywhere who do you think you are uh, just just leave penning at left tackle get pursed at guard or something if you really need to but uh when you introduce turnover on the offensive line like that and to do it you stop the progress of a recent first round pick a high first round pick at that spot that's just the kind of thing that a good team doesn't do and it's it's something that when you make decisions like that as a team, it indicates that your reckoning will come. Like you 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 are going to hit the fan soon. And I think the Texans are clearly a better run organization, much better coaching. Uh, I I think that the Texans win this. And the only question to me is like, how ugly does it get for Carr? Uh, I think. I think if if Carr and the, and the uh, Saints somehow score points, they could put some stress on Stroud. I don't I don't know if Stroud's really been tested against a defense like this, especially if if the Texans are forced to throw it forty times or something. But if they if they only have to throw it thirty times, I feel comfortable saying that the Texans would kind of control the tempo of the game. And what do you make of Damian Pierce starting to um, you know the? First couple of weeks were, were pretty rough. Uh, still hasn't scored a touchdown since week three, um, but he's seen 20 or more carries in each of the last two weeks. That that has to be rather encouraging for those who drafted him, though. No? Yeah, uh, I think it's a combination of the offensive line injuries and just sort of not the greatest schedule either. It, you know, he caught the Colts before Buckner got hurt. The Jaguars defense certainly better than I expected. Still don't have a sense of the Steelers' run defense at all, but the Falcons' defense looks pretty good. I think uh, Pierce is a good player. That's, I'm just kind of willing to believe that based on his rookie year. And the Saints is, is not the get-right spot, granted. It's it's the bye week and then week eight against Carolina. It's it's tough, though, like you were kind of getting at for his fantasy investors. It's like you, you don't really have until week eight. You kind of 
need to start getting some wins now and, and you know two more losses it's like how, how much are you even in the picture at that point but I, I think you know Titus Howard getting back last week hopefully the offensive line settles in I feel comfortable saying week eight but yeah I, I don't really I don't really know how Pierce is going to get going against the Saints because their defense is strong their, their defense is not a question it's only the offense that's so bad for the Saints yeah I'm, I'm thinking high volume low efficiency you just need a touchdown um so that he kind could. of puts him in flex yeah yeah i don't mean to diminish his chances of a touchdown and if anything i think he's due for some significant positive regression there but uh you know the better car does in this game the worse i feel about pierce in addition okay. to the I'm, I'm concerned either way of course and then uh I've, I've noted noted some hand wringing on, on Twitter about Chris Olave's recent production. We still have him as as wide receiver ten for this week. Uh, what do we do with him? Uh, he's open. I don't know what to make of this toe injury that he's listed on the injury report with, but uh, the basic deal with Olave is that his catch rate is lagging because of poor quarterback play. Uh, like last year, you know, he caught seventy two of one hundred and nineteen. This year, he's catching only fifty eight percent. He operates really far downfield a lot of the time and sometimes on some very ambitious routes. So the more ambitious the route, the the lower the, the catch rate will trend. I, I, in other words, I don't know if Olave is going to be, at least not in this offense, uh, something like a 66% catch rate guy. I think he's going to be more like 62, 64. But he'll, I think, at least be that. And you got to understand, Derek Carr is playing so badly right now. Even last week against... Uh, the Patriots with their completely, you know, annihilated secondary car still struggled. It was still a difficult environment for the receivers to produce. So uh, I do think going to Houston, playing Jacksonville and new Orleans, playing the, the Colts in Indianapolis, those are settings that suit car better than any road environment, especially, especially a Foxborough type place. But uh, like we just saw in the first three weeks, what Olave does when the Saints offense is vaguely on schedule. So uh, it sucks when a great player is denied opportunity. But Olave is completely inevitable. This this is a kind this is a category of player who will never be down long. No, I don't think so either. So I'm, I'm not worried about him, even if uh, you know the rest of the Saints offense is a little bit um, sus, say the least. Um, let's get on over to Jacksonville. We've got. The Jags hosting Indianapolis. Indianapolis has not won there since 2014, Mario. Huh, that's weird. Well, uh, eggs are still bad on offense is how I see it. So working from there, the health of DeForest Buckner might determine a lot of this game. I don't think he's particularly, I don't think the last two weeks anyway, that Buckner has been particularly close to healthy. He, when he is healthy, totally changes the course of an entire game. He, he dictates the, the overall game plan of an offense. And uh, to, to have a player at that, uh, a player that important at less than 100% takes it away from a defense faster than almost any other guy playing less than 100%. So it looks like he, he must have been back last week. I know against the Rams, Buckner only played 19 snaps, but he played 47, which led the Colts last week. I think that with press Taylor still being a terrible offensive coordinator, I had to watch that whole London game. So I I got a little better idea of what I think specifically press Taylor is awful at. Mm. Uh, It's basically everything, but certainly um, it's, it's that he has a couple staple plays that are just 
inconceivably bad in their theory and it's it's this halfback dive that he runs out of shotgun with travis Etienne over and over and this is why travis Etienne's yards per carry is so low too they do this play where it's a halfback dive but it's not quick hitting it's not like snap step hand it to Etienne. it's like snap they, they then they take a beat and a half like they're setting up an rpo but they don't actually run an rpo they just hand it to etn and it's not a draw they don't do that. They don't get the draw function by by setting up as if it's pass protection and letting the defense wash pass. They set up as a run block and then wait for a while to hand the ball off. It's completely ridiculous. And they don't they, they do it out of shotgun four wide. So you don't even have like edge setting blockers to help. Absolutely ridiculous. Completely. I, I don't have I don't have words for how stupid of an idea this play is. And it's the play he runs the most. So until press Taylor is fired or somebody says like you got to stop running that stupid play you got to you have to get it out of your playbook and if we see you running it again you're in trouble like that's what they need to tell them they ha- not one time not any scenario does it make sense to run that play it cannot work it's just a, a ridiculously stupid design and that's why it fails so uh maybe the data has come in enough maybe maybe taylor can see like oh the splits when we run this play aren't so good maybe i should do something else if that's what it takes, then please someone get him this get him this information so he can figure it out finally. In the meantime, I see no reason to give him the benefit of the doubt. I see ETN running into DeForest Buckner over and over and over. Tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence running plays that the defense already knows from uh, unfavorable downs and distances. And uh, yeah, I, I think Shane Steichen is twice the coach that Doug Peterson is. So Gardner Minshew or not, I think that the Colts are really dangerous here. And uh, yeah, I think the Colts are going to win. Yeah. Give me Indianapolis with, with the points for, for sure. I mean, you can get that at four and a half um, at a bunch of places on the Indianapolis uh, side of the ledger. How's the shape of the offense change with, with Minshew being the quarterback. And and then of course, with, with the reintroduction of Jonathan Taylor last week, Zach, Zach Moss obviously crushed last week. Uh, how does that recalibrate? Well, uh, it's it's good to see Moss do so well, but you know it, it it really was a poor showing by the Titans' defense to let to let Moss get that long touchdown run. Uh, we've seen Taylor make that run before, but it's with a lot of people in frame chasing him, and then he runs away from them. As Moss, it was just like the whole defense just walked off the field. So weird showing. You, you don't really see that from the Titans' run defense. Somebody somebody just really screwed up their gap really badly. Uh, and, and might get like benched for it. But I, I feel like, uh, you know, we had enough data on Moss, even this year, even with the Colts specifically, even when he was doing well with the Colts last year in that final month, Moss does not peel off 40 yard carries. It's just not something that he does. He's, he grinds it out and he's really good at it. But Taylor is the long range shooter. So if a play like that is going to happen again, it's not going to happen with Moss. It's just fact. It's not happening. It's Taylor or it's nobody. And Taylor, you know, when, 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 the Babip, so to speak, drops on Moss. The idea that like, oh, they're interchangeable, that will fade in a matter of probably one drive. There will be one. There will be one drive where you know Moss, he's got four carries for eleven yards or something, and they give Taylor four carries, and it, he he like takes them the whole length of the field, and that's just a wrap. And then from that point, we're going to see Taylor thirty-five, forty snaps a game, and Moss twenty, twenty-five snaps a game. Maybe not as soon as this game. I mean, the Jaguars' defense is playing pretty well. But uh, I don't know. I, f- I feel like Shane Steichen is going to find some way around this Jaguars defense. And I think Minshew's just good enough that 
we can expect the, the Colts to kind of like stay on their toes and you know, deal with the jabs as they come in and, and spot an opportunity might be Taylor might be in the passing game a little bit. Like Josh Downs has gotten going a little bit kind of optimistic for him. Uh, we were talking about Alec Pierce and uh, I, I still think he's a good player. It's just, he's, he's stuck in the difficult position of being a guy who, because he runs so far downfield, it it's a downward pressure on his target per snap rate. And it's yeah. also a downward pressure on his catch rate. So he's always doomed to catching like 40, uh, sorry, 54% of his targets at best. Uh, the, the, the trade-off being he can do big damage on those on that 54%. But then Anthony Richardson, a makes it a run heavy offense, just as a matter of design practicality, but also doing like the RPO kind of stuff that the Colts are doing with him. And with Richardson being such a terrifying run threat, it kind of just, it, it pulled the defense downward in the middle of the field and it made it really easy to get the ball to downs and Pittman. So it, it wasn't just those inherent difficulties that Pierce has already taken on. It's that these other guys are getting, they're, they're just running really easy routes against the defense in comparison. Minshew doesn't have that same rush threat that, that Richardson does. So I don't know if, if downs and Pittman will be quite as open as they've been. And maybe Minshew, you know, because, because, Pierce will not be as relatively difficult to get the ball to as, as with Richardson's case. Maybe that gets Pierce going a little bit. I definitely think Pierce against uh, what's his name. Let's see. Darius Williams. He's kind of a gamer, but he's only five, nine, you know, he, he can run with Pierce a little bit, but if that ball, if he's in single coverage and that ball is up, you know, six, three Pierce is getting it. Similarly, Tr- Trey Herndon. I don't think he can run really. He's, he's, he's a, he's like a downward crashing corner. He can't run vertically. So there are ways to get Pierce going here. And I, I kind of feel like he's due. I, I, I feel like uh, the Jags are going to try to stop the run game and Steichen will spot a weakness that they might give up in trying to do that. Uh, yeah. With, with Pierce, it, I think there's reason for optimism. I think the talent's obviously there. I, I just worry with the role that, that you were speaking of, where he's, you know, average depth of target, 16 yards, way down there. And Minshew just, I I like Minshew. I think he he's a great backup, but I, I don't feel like he's super attuned to, like, looking deep down the field. So I'm looking at a lot of Pittman and a lot of downs in the tight ends here. That That's true, but, again, like, with Richardson uh, – with Minshew not being the RPO threat that Richardson is, I think some of the throws that were easy for Richardson to make will be more difficult for Minshew. And so that's why, mm. that's why I'm saying like he might look to Pierce because it's, it's not as relatively difficult to get Pierce the ball when you're Minshew as it is when you're Richardson. And uh, you know, for what's worth DJ Chark had his best stretch in the NFL with Minshew as his quarterback. And Minshew is, is uh, or sorry, uh, Chark, I think is, more similar to Pierce than Downs or Pittman in that like he pretty mm-hmm. much lived on the sideline and vertically in Minshew, you know, he's he's practical. He 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 at the time was like, maybe this isn't my game. Maybe I'm not a downfield gunner, but DJ Shark's my best option. So I'm just gonna kind of spam it. Yeah. So maybe that will wake up and you know Minshew obviously has some history there in Jacksonville. So a little revenge game possibly. Um but yeah. either way, I'm on Indy here. Um Fairly strongly, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I got, got some doubts on, on the Jags. They, they are a frustrating bunch. They suck. Uh, the the points on Press Taylor were, were excellent. I appreciate you sharing those. Um, let's get on over. We have one more game in the 1 o'clock window, then we'll get to the 4 o'clock, speaking Eastern time, of course. 
Um, we got Panthers, Dolphins. Dolphins are two touchdown favorites in this one. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I believe it. I just, I, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things like when you're thinking of the spreads in your head before you see them, at least I kind of go to extremes, of course. And so I ask myself, like, Miami versus Carolina, oh, 27 and a half, probably. But yeah. uh, I, for, I forget that the Guess real the life it doesn't work that way. It, yeah, it's, it's uh, 13 and a half is more sane. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to just assume a team's going to win by 14, you know, even though I was, even though I think the Dolphins will win by 28. It's, 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 uh, it's tough to bet on 14 points. And yet I don't know what I expect to get to happen for the, for the Panthers to get even that close. You know, it's like Bryce young, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. And the run game is where I feel like Miami's defense is most vulnerable, but I don't know if the Panthers are really prepared to leverage that. I mean, the Miles Sanders thing was stupid. He's not that good. Uh, it was funny watching them at the offseason say like, we're just going to get, we're just going to keep throwing him the ball. Yeah. We're going to make him a three down star. You'll see they, Oh, you think he's not a complete back? Well, we'll just, we'll just throw him the ball anyway. Well, how's that working out? Uh, it's not uh, to spoil it for everybody. It's, it's not really working, but uh, you know, Bryce Young, at least, uh, he showed the ability to play against a prevent defense last week in a blowout, which really is a start. I didn't know based on the first couple games, whether he was capable of even that. So it's, it's something I just don't know if it really matters a whole lot. And I, I think while the, while the dolphins defense is uneven and I, th- I think it lacks key personnel at a lot of spots, Vic Fangio versus a confused and frightened rookie quarterback uh, on the road I, I don't think this is a good spot for young. Um, the, the toughest dolphins corner to Catter Kohu, however you say it is a slot corner, which is where Adam Thielen has been so effective. And Adam Thielen has, has had a really good schedule lately. He was going against like Josh Metellus a couple weeks ago. And then uh, whoever the backup slot corner is for the lions last week. So this will be a much tougher matchup if they keep Kohu in the slot. And I think they will. And uh, if Thielen's not there for the easy looks, Young is just, you know, he's just left it stranded at sea, basically. Yeah, I think we're, we're looking at a long day there. And that's a good detail there on, on Thielen and, and his matchup because he's really the only thing that's working um, in that offense. Um, on the other side of this one, you know, we're, we're at blowout risk, of course. But um, to get there, you got to put up points. So you're still feeling great about your your usual Miami starters. You oh, yeah. lock in Mostert. But um, what's the latest on, on Jeff Wilson? And and while um, Devin uh, Devin Achan is sidelined, um, do we start to see Wilson um, kind of you know make his mark in this offense? I don't know where Wilson is at. I guess it was a ribs injury that he had. Like, I guess I would say five weeks to recover from a rib thing seems like enough time. Uh, so I'd, I'd expect Wilson to pop up, but. I don't think they need him. I think Chris Brooks is better, but I guess uh, Chris Brooks has a lot to prove in the meantime, whereas whereas Wilson is a plug-and-play kind of thing as far as Mike McDaniel is concerned. Uh, Mostert is, of course, a great fit in this offense. He's uh, If he gets eight carries, you start him because those eight could be 100. But, yeah, in this game, they could use a guy like Wilson. Any Anytime they got a big lead, they could use a guy like Wilson to take the human shield carries, you know? And... Uh, I, since I don't see the Panthers doing a whole lot, I guess this could be a Wilson game if he is activated. 
I just would really like to see Chris Brooks get the shot because I feel like he's good. I'd like to see it too. Yeah, no, he he definitely had some good stuff that that he put on t- tape in in college. Uh, I just have a lot more Jeff Wilson than than uh, Chris Brooks. So Wilson uh, knows the offense too. So it's at to McDaniel Wilson is like a free space kind of player. Like he's like I don't have to worry about that. I can go look at this other thing now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but we'll we'll get some time. I think to see. Uh, McDaniel experiment with with the backfield depth on Sunday because I don't think there's any way that the Panthers keep this close. It's gonna uh, be like a he, pulling wings off of flies, <laughs> bend, bending spoons with his mind and so on. Um, let's uh, let's keep rocking then. Um, I have no idea what this game is. The Patriots and the Raiders. You know what? Anyone listening, you don't either. I'll say it, John. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Mm. that's what it is i, I uh, hope we can get an ending half as entertaining as last year's uh ending in this matchup where mac jones got completely trucked on a game losing play yeah i'll take the patriots though um i know mac jones has kind of fallen apart lately but i do think he was playing well in the first three games especially the eagles game and i've just seen too many times when when teams fall into level of disarray that the patriots have it's impossible to to evaluate the players it's like it's you, you might as well just like watch them uh i don't know it's it's just not a football game you know it's like it doesn't it doesn't look like a real offense none of the things that happen look like football events it's just kind of watching 11 guys get chased by 11 other ones and shoved around a bunch uh it's made particularly bad by the offense's lack of speed in the patriots case when you have juju smith schuster on one leg Kendrick Bourne and whatever 30 year old Devonte Parker at receiver, the defense knows you cannot get to 12 yards downfield. They know it. They know you can't get there before they can get to your quarterback. And when they know something with that level of certainty, it's basically unfair. Like they it's even against bad defenses, you know, it's like bad defenses are still NFL players. And if you tell the worst defense, the play before you run it, they'll make you look bad for it. So with, with, I don't know. DeMario Douglas is hurt now, so who knows what's going on there. But at the very least, the Patriots can make their offense better by getting Juju Smith-Schuster off the field. Like they need, they need to do it. Get somebody who can run anything at all in his spot, and that would help a lot. Playing ten on eleven with the slowest remaining ten in the entire NFL, not to mention with a beat up offensive line, I would expect Mac Jones to fall apart if I had been told like those variables ahead of time. The, uh, the Raiders defense is so bad, though, and their offense also unreliable to the point that I wouldn't assume they they look OK against the, the even this battered Patriots defense. I I think this is a setting where Mac Jones, at least going against a, a somewhat fair kind of opponent and uh, the Raiders suck. It's not that bold of a prediction, you know, I guess, it, you know, who, who sucks more? Um, uh I I guess I think the Raiders do. <laughs> that's I mean that's totally fair. Um, you know Monday night doesn't doesn't really prove anything to me other than like the Packers have some some problems. The Packers there. are real bad. Yeah, yeah. So that that's tough scene for them. But um, you know I I I like the Raiders here just because it's at at home. Uh, our guy James comments that Belichick is a broken man. It's sad. Um, I agree with the first part of that. I disagree with the second. I have no sympathy for the devil. <laughs> um 
Let, um, I would I'm say that I would say Tom Brady is the devil, and Belichick is merely one of those little guys with the forks. Yeah, it's one of those uh, goblin minions. That the guy who's devils, yeah, yeah, he he's at the donut machine that that uh, Homer Simpson is strapped to in in hell, and <laughs> he's he's confused as to why Homer can can just not stop eating the donuts. Um, it is Treehouse of Horror season now that it, that we're into October. So That's spooky. Uh, everyone do yourself a favor and watch the first 10 or so uh, Treehouse of Horror episodes from The Simpsons. You know where to watch them. Do it. Um, let's go. Sneaky, very interesting game, especially in, in the afternoon window where we, you know, kind of have truncated action. Lions Bucks. I, I, I'm very interested in this game. The, the Bucks obviously have the good record so far. They're coming off the bye. But I, I think my my lean here is that when they play a good team, like an actual good team, they're going to lose. And I I do put the Lions in that category as, as dangerous as they that may be of a, of a place to be. But I, I think the Bucks will, will give them a, a good fight here. But I do think the, the Lions ultimately prevail by, by more than a field goal. Fair enough. Uh, I don't mean to make the the Buccaneers sound like world beaters or anything, but I think the Lions have gotten pretty badly overrated. Like even in a year that is the weakest NFL year I can remember literally ever, I have real issue with a team like the Lions being listed in power uh, rankings, top fives. Like, man, if they are a top five team, we're in hell. Uh, that's that's awful. They're not that. They're an average team in a competitive year. They're like a top fifteen, top sixteen kind of team in a competitive year. Maybe this year is so uncompetitive that they're a top five team. I don't know. But going on the road against a defense that I think is quite good, I have no trouble fading Jared Goff right here. I'm sorry, I, I am not intimidated at all. I I think Goff goofs big time here, and uh, I think Baker Mayfield outplays him. Not saying much, granted. I'm I'm thinking something like maybe 230 yards and two touchdowns for Mayfield as a good case scenario. But Goff, I think, will struggle to uh, have a positive. I, I think he'll have more turnovers than touchdowns, and I think he'll struggle to, at the same time, complete 66% of his passes at more than seven yards a target. So, uh, like, Kalijah Kansi's back. That could matter quite a bit. I, not that I really have a great idea how, but, you know, <laughs> Did stuff at Pittsburgh. He's a first-round pick. Can't hurt to get him back. Jamel Dean is back. Is Carlton Davis on IR, or is he off the injury report? Uh, um, give um, me one second. I got it here, too. He's, okay, off. he's off the injury report. Yeah, okay. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Kalaja Kansi haven't been healthy since week one. This is a tough defense that the Buccaneers have, and Goff on the road, outdoors, I don't know. I, I think the Bucs get it. Well, I was I was willing to to reconsider. Now, now I absolutely must. Um, yeah, the Bucks, Bucks are a, a or at least they cover. Run. You know, yeah, they they keep this one within the number, especially if you can find it at, at three and a half. I think it's it's three and a half points bet. So, just uh, for everyone's edification, um, on the on the lines side, unpacking the fantasy angle a little bit more. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is questionable. I'm on Ross St. Brown. I think he's going to be able to play, but at, at what percentage? Um, we ever hear did... what his actual abdomen injury was? Like, I, I feel like sometimes we hear specifics, like it's it's a st- abdominal strain or it's like a, a whatever the whatever it could be. But uh, yeah, just abdomen nonspecific was kind of weird to me. Uh, I've injured my thorax, um, but. <laughs> 
I guess he's um, fine. I mean, I guess it can't be that bad if he's, you know, doing practice on Wednesday. Right. So trending in the right direction. Uh, any expectations for Jameson Williams? I'm going to ask no, you. Not against this defense, not in this setting. Uh, he's basically like flea flicker dependent. And, and Goff, I mean, I, I'll give them this much credit. They keep finding new ways to run flea flicker type things. Like they run so many trick plays for that guy. That's another thing. J- Jared Goff is easily setting the record for the most dependency, the most, the greatest share of his production uh, relating to trick play setups. You can only do that stuff for so long. And I, I don't think this is the setting where it's, uh, you know, they might need to lean on it anyway, but it's not good to need to do it. It's, it's good to be able to do it and when you have the defense on their heels but if you're like we got to get a flea flicker to get a to get into to get it past the 50 like you're already like you're you're working from from a, a, a disadvantageous position to do that uh saint brown uh, sh- should be fine i guess like at least in fantasy ppr especially but man him going against uh let's see who would it be uh, i i know earlier in the year they were let's see I, th- I think it's going to be mostly Antoine Winfield on him. And honestly, that might be the last guy that St. Brown wants to see. Yeah, he, he's he's tough. He'll get right in your face. St. Brown, obviously, tough and will get right it's in like your face. It's like a safety version of St. Brown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that could be a, a fun little X's and O's matchup to uh, to key in on on Sunday. But yeah, I guess we like the Bucks in this and one. Maybe the under... Yeah, I, could, I guess I it's already down two under. points, though. It opened at 45 and a half is already down to 43 and a half. Yowza. Yowza. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's keep rocking. We've got the Cardinals and the Rams, this one in L.A. Does seven points strike you as a little high here in favor of the Rams? No. Uh, in no. part because uh, I, just, I just think Stafford, when he's got Cooper Cup and now – not that I not that I understand exactly how Nakua has done all this or what it all means going forward, but if Cooper Cup is back, that's that's almost enough in itself for me to believe in five thousand yard, forty touchdown Matt Stafford. Having Nakua being even vaguely what he's been, Tutu Atwell maintaining vaguely the course that he's on. I uh yeah, I, I think the the Rams, if they if they don't win by seven or more, it's because they just started playing prevent like halfway through the third quarter and the, and the Cardinals put up, I don't know, 14 to 21 points from that point to the end of the game. And the Rams, if, if they don't score any points could give up the cover there. Uh, that's just how I see it. Obviously I could be just totally wrong about everything, but that's how I see it. And I don't know what to think of the Cardinals playing from a catch-up script. They, they've had, they've done a great job. Whoever's running that offense, whoever's responsible for getting Josh Dobbs to produce the way he does, truly all-timer stuff i can't believe any of it but it's also different to do that when the game is close and do it when you're down two scores and i'm not convinced they can do that part yeah no they're they're in rough shape if they're if they're down by by more than one possession no question about that um how big of a, of an impact do you think it is that the james connor is going to be missing some time here and and you know how what is the, the recourse in that in that backfield. Obviously, we 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 touched on Amara Di Mercado and Keontae Ingram a little bit earlier in the show. Um, but your your thoughts on, on them for for this particular matchup? Well, it probably sets up better for Di Mercado in terms of game script in this game because he probably is the passing down guy. Uh, I say that though only in a way to acknowledge 
if Demarcado is not the passing down guy, I don't know what he does even in theory. Like he can't run the uh, this whole thing that you know a lot of people are committed to the idea that like running backs don't matter. You can just plug in any old one as long as they catch some passes. They're the same thing. Who cares? Demarcado is not an NFL running back. He won't be on a team in a couple of years, and uh, it's it's only because the Cardinals are not a talented team that he's even you know on their practice squad, let alone their actual game plan. Uh, he couldn't run at TCU. Everybody could run at TCU. You know, Zach. Zach Evans had like seven yards of carry at TCU. DeMarcado was almost literally half as effective as a, as a ball carry. He was good as a, as a catch uh, pass catcher, but uh, yeah, it's, it's like, to me, he just seems like a hurry up, you know, blowout back, uh, maybe like a slightly faster Daria Gumbo Wale, something like that. I don't know. He's faster than a Gumbo Wale. I don't mean to like take that away from DeMarcado, but I, I think the issue with him is he has no vision. He, the start stop the processing. I, I have reason to believe they're all negatives. Whereas Keontae Ingram can at least run, and Keontae Ingram is an NFL athlete, uh, NFL caliber athlete. I've seen a lot of people say, like, oh, we know Ingram sucks because he uh, has only, like, 30 yards on, whatever, 15 carries in the NFL. Like, come on, man. He's he's running in so many, like, goal line situations and just situations where the game has gone wrong, and that's why he's on the field and situations like that. If you want to look at Ingram as a runner, just look at his college production and look at Di Mercado's college production, for that matter it's easy to see that Ingram is the better runner and Ingram can pass catch too. It's not like he's bad at that. It's just Di Mercado can't do anything else. So it is, if Ingram is only a run specialist, then yeah, Di Mercado gets the benefit of the game script, but Ingram can catch passes if they want to leave him in. And uh, I don't know what to make of Rondale Moore. I've seen some people saying like, Oh, he's going to be the running back. I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, and to whatever extent Rand- Rondale Moore is at running back, that's almost directly at the expense of Di Mercado. Oh, no, I mean, that, that would totally, you know, sap uh, Di Mercado's usage. I, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I buy that necessarily, but I, I mean, I'm I'm in on the concept of it. I, I would love to see Rondell Moore get, get a bunch of carries, but... Um, I do something yeah. with him, my God. Yeah, anything, please. Um, but yeah, I... I think you laid out some really good points when it, when it comes to the Rams for, for this weekend. And, um, you know, again, it's a bit... The Cardinals, if if they're if they're close after the first quarter, then I think it's going to stay close. But um, if if they get down early, it it could be a wrap pretty quickly there. So um, that, that's kind of how I see it going. But I, I think more often than not, when I'm running my brain simulations, it, it's the Rams just racking up tons of points, and the Cardinals just kind of uh, going into self defeat mode um, as the game unfolds. Let's go Eagles Jets. Eagles seven point favorites on the road. Yeah. Uh I mean Brees Hall is awesome. I guess there's something you can do with that, but I don't know against this team if that's the case. Like the Eagles, they have such strong run defense, like infrastructure that they don't need to try to stop the run to stop the run. And uh, you know, if, if whatever the run can accomplish, it's that much more leaving Zach Wilson in harm's way. So if you can't hide Wilson with the ground game, I don't know how you really do anything. And the Jets defense, though quite good, I think you, especially with personnel like the Eagles have, I think you could play around it. Like uh, even if DJ Reed, I don't know what his injury status is, but I'm sorry, five nine outside corner is a categorical issue against AJ Brown. Like you just you can't leave a five nine corner on AJ Brown. And if they were to leave him there, uh, as opposed to putting Sauce Gardner on Brown, and also Brown can beat Sauce Gardner. I don't even think Sauce Gardner is like. I think Sauce Gardner is good, but I think he was badly overrated last year. He's he's not doing nearly as well this year. It's more of like a cover three corner than a true shutdown guy. 
And uh, AJ Brown can can break ankles too. It's not just that he hulks over everyone. It's like he can go laterally, and I don't know if Gardner can. So the the advantage that the Jets normally have in the pass defense, I don't think it applies here. And we haven't really seen their run defense stay quite as good in a setting where their pass defense was hurting. Like sometimes when you when you you know spring a leak in one part, they start to shift things from another strength to try to take care of it. And sometimes you just end up creating two weaknesses. So. I feel like the Eagles will look better on offense than maybe people expect here. And then, um, you know, when the or looking at the Jets offensive side of things, a fairly significant injury this past week with Elijah Barrett Tucker uh, going out for, for the year, I believe that was an that Achilles sucks. injury. So, um, you know, th- this could be a real long day for, for Zach Wilson. Yeah, that sucks. That is a huge loss. So, yeah, I mean, seven's a big number on the road, but I think the more that we've, we've discussed it, I, I feel like six the Eagles... is totally in play, though. It's like Zach Wilson, if you're as far as backdoor probability goes, I feel like Zach Wilson's one of the worst indicators for it you can find at quarterback. Very true. So, yeah, but already penciling in the Eagles to um, have, have this one back level um, on the spread, just just thanks to Zach Wilson. Uh, we got two primetime games to, to hit as we wrap it up here. The Giants are on national TV again, Mario. Good. We deserve yeah, it. We do. Um, they're playing the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are 14 point favorites. I can like barely muster the, the energy for to dive super deep in it. The Giants are just such a bummer. <laughs> That's a huge spread, and I, I feel like it's really easy to imagine a scenario where the Bills t- from start to finish totally dominate and still give up the back door there. But yeah, I'm not going to be, while I probably just wouldn't pick this game, I'm not going to say pick the giants in any circumstances. I don't think so. uh, Certainly not to win, but I don't even mean for, I don't even know if I trust them to get, you know, 17 points, let alone 14 uh, within the bills. So uh, I've, I've mentioned before how I worry about the bills offense when Stefan Diggs goes below 120 yards which is a crazy way for them to build their offense. But setting that aside, I'm not terribly worried about it here. I feel like Diggs should be able to dust these corners and maybe the Giants can sell out some way, kind of like they did against Justin Jefferson last year and have some modicum of success doing it. I just, I don't know. That that seems to me like it's, it's, it's asking a lot. And even if they hold Diggs to under 100 yards or something like that, Josh Allen can just like run on these guys. It's that's usually the solution for the Bills. When it goes well for them on a day that Diggs goes under 120, it's because Allen ran for 50 and two touchdowns. So if they need to do it that way, I think they'll just do it that way. Uh James Cook should bounce back really big. I, yeah, the Bills should be comfortable. Yeah, I, I believe so as well. And um, but they're just even if Barkley comes back, I, I just don't really think that there's much to see here on, on the Giants uh side of the ledger. Uh let's finish it out. Cowboys, Chargers, Chargers off the bye. Cowboys uh, publicly humiliated uh, last Sunday night. Do they bounce back here? <laughs> uh, no, uh, they're they're run too poorly. Uh, the, Brandon Staley is not a good coach, but he can't possibly be as bad as Mike McCarthy and Dallas. Their entire approach on offense is just unserious this year. The, their their inability to get Ceedee Lamb and Brandon Cooks going categorically means they are not a good team like if, if cd lamb and brandon cooks don't have substantially more production to this point then the cowboys they're just non-competitive the budget doesn't work you can't budget the offense for the numbers to get high enough it, it's completely a non-starter so uh 
they could do a lot of things differently uh, if they stopped following their intuition and just maybe doing the opposite that would put them in a good spot you know mccarthy schottenheimer whoever's fault this all is but they're not going to just get better you know that they, they, they've already had easier matchups and blown it anyway they're at a level of uncompetitiveness that's it might be worse than press taylor for all the crap i give him i mean dallas is done just as bad arguably quite a bit worse with their offensive management so it is that bad and when it is that bad you can make even brandon staley look good and i would definitely pick the chargers to win this it you know speaking to uh dallas's offensive struggles to to this point um do you know that brian robinson has outproduced tony pollard in fantasy this year that must not have been the case before last week, right? Because Pollard was at least getting touchdowns. But yeah, I remember thinking, man, Dallas can't just keep doing this thing where they give 20 carries a game to Tony Pollard. Like he's got to, you got to keep him in that 14 to 16 range and get some big plays out of them and then give somebody else, you know, Rico Doddle, you give him the, the human shield carries. That's how you got to do it. And if you need Pollard to take every all 20, 25 of those carries every time, it means your passing game is not producing enough or it means you're logging like 80 plays per game. And it's not that it's not that they're logging 80 plays per game. They just can't do anything in the passing game. And yeah, it's, it's brutal. Uh, I think Tony Pollard is, I think he went into this year overrated, but I definitely attribute his lack of production to this point to, to kind of like a little bit the schedule, but mostly just McCarthy being a complete dodo and, uh, I don't know. The, the charges are bad enough at run defense. I think you can you can imagine this being a bounce back game for Pollard. I'd be pretty surprised if it isn't. But even if he bounces back, again, the Dallas offense is not budgeting like enough. They 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 don't have the ability to hit the number that they need to get to. And uh I, I I'm not assuming the Chargers do that. I think they're quite poorly run also. But I think they are merely kind of poorly run, whereas I don't know how Dallas could be run much worse. Yeah, so I, I like the Chargers here, getting points at, at home against the Cowboys. Um, yeah, I think yeah, some some's rotten uh, in in Dallas right right now. Um, yeah, we we haven't been sunshine and rainbows on the Chargers much this season either. They suck. Um, I hate them. Yeah, <laughs> I have to pick them here. Yes, and then uh, coming off the bye, do you expect Quentin Johnston to to get a little bit more involved now that they've had some time to to kind of like reset? I don't know, man. It, it should be easy. It should have already been easy to get him going more. But uh, Staley, I think, has his hands on the offense, and I, I think he still has just a bunk theory of how offense is supposed to work in the NFL level. Johnston, if if they ask him to run deep and get open deep, I feel like he can do it. Uh, admittedly, the Dallas pass rush makes that a little challenging for this particular game, but. The, the Josh Palmer thing is just ridiculous. There's there's no way Josh Palmer is use, more useful than Quentin Johnson. Even now with Johnson as a rookie, it's just a it's a failure for of a team prioritizing its its uh, usage. It's a team with with the wrong understanding of its of uh, of of what goals it should have. It's it's bad. Uh, Dallas is worse at all these things, which is why I think that the Chargers eke it out. But uh, while I'm while I'm picking the Chargers to win this, I don't really understand why the over under is going from forty nine and a half to fifty and a half. I could imagine this being plenty ugly for both offenses. Yeah, I, I do as, as well. So I like the the under in the in this spot. That's too high. Um, that I, 
It's like the slate was just kind of like, we got to have a shootout somewhere. This one's got to be it, right? Like, maybe none of them. Yeah, just dangling it out there. Um, but yeah, I don't see it either. Um, so get, give me give me the Chargers here, and then uh, assuming that Eckler is back, um, obviously you're gonna you're gonna start him. But what are your expectations against this Dallas defense? Well, if there's a smart play caller involved, I think you could do a lot with Eckler if you're the Chargers, and you know using him as a, a deterrent against Dallas's pass rush, especially like. Set up some screens that you haven't shown all year. Save those screens for a game like this. Set up Eckler on some easy catches. You know, let let that pass rush wash itself out of the play and get Eckler behind them somehow. Just just figure it out. You know, uh, running will probably be tough, but I feel like Eckler probably catches six passes in this game. I'd I'd like to think for a good amount of yardage, but it might not. I'm I'm feeling good about him. We have we have him as a top ten running back this week, but not top five. Um, and I think that's about fair as far as the um, the projection goes for for Eckler and his return. He could catch like bad. ten passes. I mean, without Williams, it's it's not like Palmer's going to pick it up. So if Johnston can't or won't, it's Eckler. It's nothing. Yep. Every Josh Palmer target is a policy failure. Um, yes. That's, <laughs> That's going to do it for us uh, here on this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Always appreciate the lively comments section uh, uh, over on YouTube when we're doing the live stream. Some good uh, fantasy banter going on there, as always. So uh, any podcast listeners, I definitely encourage you to, to check us out on the live stream as well every Thursday. Um, but beyond that, uh, big thanks to our sponsors over at Circa and Blue Wire. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.